thank you very much, Steve, and to the folks here at New Life for hosting us this evening. It's much appreciated. And it's lovely to see so many of you here. Thank you for coming. Uh, we will be finished, I assure you, by 8.30 tomorrow morning. No, this evening. <laughs> it's lovely to welcome people from the churches here in North Allerton. Uh, we have folks from, from where? Tell us where you're from, from churches in North Allerton and area. Yeah, New Life, obviously, but there's more than New Life here. All Saints. Thirsk. The Deep South Thirsk. Yes. Home of Harriet and Yorkshire Vet and various other churches and things. Yes, sure. That's right. Brompton, thank you. Lovely to welcome you. And we have folks from the United Reformed Church. A few weeks ago, some of us were out on the estate, the Castlegate estate, um, and it is the cards and blessings that you have in your envelopes that were distributed to every home on that estate and was much appreciated. Um, one of the ladies on that estate, I think not a million miles from where you, John, live, approached me the day after. When we handed her the card on the Saturday, she was very suspicious of being handed something. We weren't selling anything. But I saw her the following day as I walked into town, and she said, Thank you so much. That meant so much to me. And then her eyes welled up with tears. I can't go into it, but it meant a great deal. And bringing something of the, the blessing of the love and compassion of God into the hearts and homes of people within our communities is, is a great opportunity as well as a challenge. We're also good to welcome people who've come from further afield, not just Ali from Swindon. We have folks from throughout the Northeast. It's lovely to welcome Christian tonight from Newcastle. And Paul from Prado, and Chris, who's travelled all the way from Annick. Chris is one of our students training for ministry at Cranmer Hall. And uh, the vicar, Fiona, and curate, they send their apologies, as does Glenn, who's the senior pastor here, who is um, relaxing on the Isle of Crete, I think, at this time. So a very warm welcome to you, and thank you again to New Life. Uh, it's my delight to, to welcome Ali, who is a friend, and we've worked together on a number of things over the years. Together we were last week in Birmingham on the National Mission Forum for the Baptist Union, and uh, we just want to impress upon you both the, the opportunity as well as the challenge that uh, pioneering affords us. Uh, we live in very turbulent days. We might think of the Prime Minister tonight uh, in Brussels. We might think of what's going on in the world today. And in the context that we find ourselves in, it is equally challenging to actually share the good news of Christ in a, in a changing society. So please welcome Ali. We, uh, we welcome you in the name of Christ, and we look forward to your sharing with us. Thank you. Let's welcome her. Thank you, Roy. It is really good to be here. <laughs> you know, I did think so I could have flown to the States and seen my brother and his family in the time that it's, that it's taken me to get here, but I'm delighted that I'm here talking to you. You know, I do shy a little bit away from that um, expert title. You know, I don't, definitely don't have all the answers, um, but one of the things that hasn't been said about me is I am a new housing pioneer myself. Say, so, I do have lots of questions, so that might, might be a good thing for us to, maybe we've got some of the same questions. Um, I had a call from God on, well, I can tell you, on January the 17th, 2008, uh, I had this amazing call from God to move to this new housing area near where I live. 
and uh, we were the first in there. And God has done more than I could have asked or imagined over the last 10 years that we've been there. And it's been amazing. And it's also been hugely challenging. And we've laughed a lot and we've cried and we've done all the things that, that we do. So some of the things that I'll show you tonight make it all look like it's been an absolute walk in the park. And I, I had everything sorted. I never questioned myself. I never doubted that God was going to do everything perfectly. You know, that's how these stories come across, don't they? But let's take that with a big dose of reality that we all know. That life and faith and mission and ministry is a whole mixture of emotions and challenges and, and all of that. But we know we serve a good God. And, you know, so we've got that underpinning it. But let's not, don't look at this as a, a really shiny story where everything's perfect. What it is, is it's a, a real story of kind of where we've been at, the things we've learned along the way, and some of our existing questions. So I'm hoping there's going to be, I don't even know where this, oh, there, there we go. Um, one of the things that I tell this story within the framework of seven underlying principles. And these, I hope, are not just Ali's good ideas, but they're things that have come out of reflecting upon pioneering, and particularly pioneering new housing areas, with quite a lot of different people. I have one particular partner in crime called Penny Marsh, and she and I do quite a lot of things together with very different contexts, but we found that Despite the different contexts, there have been so many things that have come out that have been similar, which makes me think, okay, that's interesting. And then I hear other pioneers talk, and these same things emerge. So hopefully, there is some substance to these things, and not just seven things that Ali has thought of. The story, the, the story is that I moved in to a new housing area in Swindon. It was nearly, well, coming up for 10 years ago now. And um, at the time, we were called a church planting team. But actually, the call that I had for God was to go there to be an unconditional blessing to the community. And so you'll see here, this is, oh, I've just pressed the wrong thing. I'm pressing my computer because I'm used to running things. From, there we go. Um, you'll see that our kind of motto has remained, call to bless. And that's quite important, you'll see, as we go through. And some of the things that we learned. As we moved in, the first underlying principle that we that kind of emerged for us was to live incarnationally. There's something about living with rather than doing to people that we journey with. And I believe this is the case for all, all of our mission and all of our engagement with people. And the whole living incarnationally thing, we'll have all know the, the, probably the, the well-known verse, the word became flesh. And dwelt amongst us. In the message it says the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. There seems to be something very significant about moving in to new housing. About being there. About living alongside. About experiencing the same things that other people are going to. When God or the Trinity or whoever was kind of planning their salvation of the world. You know, they didn't kind of sit in heaven and go... It's quite good up here if you just come up here. You know, Jesus came down and dwelt amongst us. He knew what it was like to be a human being and and to kind of experience life in the way that we experience life. And a lot of these underlying principles, and I'm sorry, I'm not starting this very well. I'm still a little bit kind of like, I've been traveling a long time. Um, These underlying principles, we really want to root them in the gospel 
And we really want them to kind of model and speak the gospel, even when we're not actually saying that, if you know what we mean. We want it to really show and embed, be embedded with the good news of what is going on. So this whole, you know, living incarnationally about being, moving in, about experiencing what other people experience. We were the first people to move in and we've lived through being on a building site. We lived through not being able to get insurance. We lived through not having a postcode. We lived through having to wear wellies a lot because basically it was a uh, building site and we have lived through nearly 10 years of not having our roads top surfaced. We've lived through the shops not arriving when they were supposed to arrive and all of that. And whilst we could have done a lot of these things if we lived off site, there is something about being there and living alongside and really relating to what is going on. And so for us, oh, I just thought to say that there are other ways of being incarnational because we can't always move in. Sometimes, so this is just a little bit of an aside, we can't always move in. Sometimes we can't afford it. You know, sometimes it's just really simple things like that, that it's just not practical. But we can still be incarnational even if we don't move in. So some people have done that by getting a job in the area where they are. Some people have done that by kind of rooting themselves in some sort of, you know, coffee morning or some kind of place within the site. So, you know, be creative. If you think I'm really called to this, but actually we we can't afford to move in there. This is just not practical for whatever reason. Do still, don't reject being incarnational. Think, what, does, what would that look like for me to be able to be incarnational in this area? So I would really recommend people moving in, but I would also recommend us not getting hung up and not, not do, you know, just not stopping it because we can't move in. And so this is my little crew. We're on moving day, so we look terrible. <laughs> My kids are like, Mum, are you still showing that picture everywhere? Yes, I am. This is me and my husband and our three natural children and a teenager who live with us. And we upped and moved in. And God gave us a word. Uh, now, when I talk about God giving us words, we all, come, we all hear God differently, don't we? So don't be put off by my language. I use the language of God said this, that and the other. But if you don't hear God like that, that doesn't mean to say that, that you hear God any less well or less spiritually or anything. You know, some of us really hear God through what other people say to us. Some of us hear God through the Bible. Some of us hear God by listening to the radio. You know, we all hear God in different ways. So my language and my tradition is that I say, God said. But, you know, let's be grown-ups about it. We mean all sorts of things when we say that, okay? So that's just another little, little kind of heads up about the way that I speak. But we felt that God had said that we would be on this new housing estate right from the beginning. And lo and behold, we were there right at the beginning. We were there um, a month, actually, before... Oh, we can't go back, never mind. Um, we were there a month before anyone else moved in. And during that time, uh, there was a... They were doing a judicial review and considering knocking all the houses down. And we were thinking, we really hope we've heard God properly here because we've put every single penny we own into, into following what we believe is God's call. Um, but we were there first, and actually it was amazing. Because it enabled us to settle in and then we could welcome other people, which I'll talk about in a moment. About a year or so, I don't know, maybe a couple of years after we moved in, there was someone doing a 
geography and planning master's degree and they wanted to do some research and they picked the housing estate I was on and they weren't a Christian or anything like that not even not a church or anything but they they picked our estate and they started finding things out about it and through that they identified three of us me the council worker um, and the community engagement person from the housing association both the other two lovely lovely people and she started to look at what had made a difference to build community and she wrote up all of her findings and she ended up calling her research divine intervention because what she came out with was a whole load of data that said that us and the christians there was three other couples who didn't move in initially but who were like our team and she found that it made that we made a huge difference and she identified loads of things that back up these principles isn't that amazing not a christian not in any way wanting to support this or or anything like that but one of the things was the importance of me living there she refers to me as the church leader so you'll have to excuse the way it's written um but she talks about the importance of residence on the site so if we can move in that is brilliant we wrote a little book my friend penny and i that is down here called pioneer ministry in new housing areas and that unpacks some of these things a bit more it's only just under 10,000 words long so it's quite short but it gives some of these kind of initial ideas about moving in and how you might kind of get started oh and i i brought some if you want to buy them i'm not making any money out of it personally it's 3.95 and there's an honesty pot and if you can't afford 3.95 and you really want one then you can just take one The whole incarnational thing, to be truly incarnational, we must be reshaped by our context. This whole living with and walking alongside rather than just doing two is really huge and it changes us. And that can be a bit scary. And I'm sure, you know, you were talking beforehand, Steve, and it sounds like between you, you're doing amazing things in this town. And I'm sure that you're experiencing the fact that things change. You change as you step out and do things with God and do new things. You know, your theology maybe changes a bit. You get a bit, you know, questions arise that you didn't have before. We get stretched, don't we? And I think that is all right and proper. That we learn a lot by doing these things. It's not about us having all the answers and just telling people in these new housing what to think. It's about journeying with these guys. It's about exploring with them. And wondering, and we end up in a new place as well, which can be scary if we're used to having all the answers. But I think that's part of how we grow and how God really does amazing things in us as well as blessing other people. The New Parish is a good book to read, read if you're wondering about how you kind of immerse in a new community and get really shaped by that context. And this is not to patronize you, but it's easy to read. I like books that are easy to read. Sometimes it's good to read a bit of theology, but isn't it nice when they're just, you can actually understand them. That's always a good thing. And at the end of each chapter, it's got things to kind of talk about with one another or pray about. It's got a bit of liturgy and all sorts of things that appeals to a whole range of traditions. So I'd recommend that to you if you're thinking you'd like to wonder a bit more about what it means to be reshaped by our context. The second thing is bless unconditionally 
And this is really, really important to me. I believe that, you know, we love God because he first loved us. And somehow, as we're reaching out to these, these new people in this new housing, we want to somehow love them and bless them unconditionally. I hear people talk about new housing projects and pioneer projects. And I understand why we use those words. It's sort of, you know, it's a word that is kind of helpful and we sort of know what we mean. But let's not let these guys become our project. <laughs> let's love them and bless them unconditionally. Yes, I want to see, if I could see every single person on my estate come to faith, I would be absolutely delighted. But first and foremost, regardless of whatever they, however they relate to faith or whatever they think about God or whatever religion they have already or wherever they're coming from, whatever their lifestyle, we're called to bless unconditionally. For God so loved the world. And we, we go into these estates and into these new housing developments because God is calling us to love and that's part of the way in which we really show the gospel to these guys. And I said earlier that that's part of why our kind of motto is called to bless and we found that people in our community who aren't Christians or anything like that, that often they'll write on Facebook, especially in the earlier days, I've been blessing the community today by doing whatever and I think isn't that interesting. Some of these guys are picking up the language of blessing, even though they're not Christians. And they're thinking about how they might bless the community. And there's some sort of really early discipleship going on before they've even kind of gone on a journey to discovering God. But hopefully we're modeling something of who God is. God is a God who blesses. And we want to do that. So what might... Oh, yes. So we're a community of blessing because I believe blessing is fundamental to who God is. When God... Spoke to Abraham back in uh, Genesis 12, 1 to 3. says, God said to Abraham, go from your country. I can only quote it in an old version, so excuse me. God said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will bless you and make your name great. And I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And you will be a blessing to all families. That passage in Genesis feels very fundamental to me, to who God is and to the whole of scripture. Blessing is fundamental to who God is. God's relationship with us is one of blessing. Jesus laid down his life unconditionally for us. But we're blessed for a purpose. I don't know, when I use this illustration, I kind of have a little look around to see the age of people to see if it's going to work or not. But let's go for it. Who remembers milk monitors? Yeah, you were one? Okay. So that separates us out in terms of our uh, age demographic. Milk was a thing we used to have free before a certain politician decided not, not to do it. Sorry, a little bit of politics there. So we used to have free milk and the milk would arrive and you would generally have, a, often in classes, would have a milk monitor. And a teacher would sometimes say, who would like to be milk monitor? Now, we're talking primary school children here. And we all know how primary school children put their hand up, don't we? Who would like to be milk monitor? <gasps> you, don't, you think they're not going to breathe. You know, they've got their hands up. They want to be milk monitor. I used to be a secondary school teacher. There was, there was, no, there was always like, yeah. So whatever I suggested. But, you know, primary school, they want to they do it. Pick me, pick me, pick me. 
I want to do that. You'd rush home if you if you were the milk monitor. I was milk monitor. Ditto for pencil monitor and register monitor. You know, that was exciting, wasn't it, to be picked and chosen. And yet, what I think is really important about the milk monitor um, illustration is that when you were milk monitor, you weren't chosen to drink all the milk. I hated milk, actually, at that age, so, you know, especially warm milk with a bit of raw carrot. <laughs> but what you were chosen to do was to give the milk out, to ensure that every other child in the classroom got the milk. And when we talk about being chosen by God, I feel it's like that, that God has chosen us and picked us, but not to consume all of his blessing ourselves, great as that is. Of course, we'll get to have some milk, but what we've been chosen for is to share it out, to make sure every single person gets some of the milk. And isn't it amazing? I hope that we don't lose that enthusiasm of the primary school classroom when God says, I want to send someone. I hope we want to go, pick me, God, pick me. I want to do it. I want to go to that new housing area. I want to be part of that. And I want to join in with this blessing. I want to make sure that every single person gets to be blessed with this gift. So we're blessed for a purpose. And I, you know, I come to churches like this, you know, this is big church, this is impressive, isn't it? This is an impressive church here. Yeah, and I think, wow, all of this, all of these milk monitors contained in here. How many people could we reach? And then you add in, what was it called? One North Isle. One North Isle. I forgot where I was for a moment. One North Isle. It has been a long day. I know. I, I don't think I've ever felt quite this ill-equipped to stand up and talk. So bear with me, everybody. Bear with me. You know, one North Allerton, you've got all of, you, all of these churches together, these people who, who've experienced God's blessing, who've got all this milk. Let's get it out there. And our blessing in practice, I believe, and I could unpack this for you theologically and through the Bible, but I'm not going to. You'll just have to trust me. Um, this blessing is unconditional. It includes a spiritual blessing if you look in Ephesians. It involves a big vision that is worked out in small ways. And it's within the context that God has called you. You are already more of an expert on your housing estate that's near you than I am. You know, this is going to be your context. What we've done in our place is is suitable for my context. And that's why this is about underlying principles and not about do what I've done. Because yours is going to be about what your estate is like. So it's really important, thank you, that it's in that it is in your context. And when I talk about a big vision worked out in small ways, some of the ways in which we bless in our community is giving people 50p for the bus. The buses aren't that cheap, but if people, now actually you can use your card, but it used to be people would knock on my door and say, I'm 50p short. Well, have you got any money for the bus, Ali? And it was often just given the 50p. That was a, a huge blessing. We also celebrate the way in which the blessing returns to us. There's a lovely, lovely guy in our area. And... Um, been hanging out with him for quite a long time. He's what my mother would have called a rough diamond. Do you know what I mean by that? He's a lovely guy. Um, that it probably wouldn't be the first thing you would notice about him, though, that he's lovely. Uh, but he said to me a little while ago, I've been chatting to him, been friends with him for eight and a half years and, and 
we did something to help him with his dog and he, he said the next day, I never said this before, Ali, but God bless you. We thought, wow, that's a massive thing for that young guy to say. He's a big, tough, never quite on the right side of the law sort of a guy. And yet, these small blessings are making a big difference. We sort of embodied this unconditional blessing of God by giving out welcome baskets and visits. And in the first year, though it did get a little bit crazy after that, but in the first year, I visited everybody as they moved in. And I worked with the social housing provider, housing association. That's what I'm trying to, word I'm trying to say. I worked with the housing association to find out when, when people were moving in and we, we partnered with them. They gave us a bit of money actually and I went and visited everyone as they moved in. And it's really important that this is an unconditional gift because we are modeling un- the unconditional blessing of God. What we're not modeling is the sort of free gifts you get on the internet. Do you know the sort I mean? You know, do you want a free lipstick or pen or whatever it is? And actually, it's not free because you go, oh, yeah, I'll have that. And you then have to give away your entire data of your whole life. That's not a free gift. That's a marketing exercise. You're selling your soul, as we all do daily whenever we use our Tesco, Waitrose, Marks and Spencers, other outlets or available cards. What we're doing is, yeah, we think, oh, yeah, we think it's good because we'll get some points and some things. We're not. We're just basically selling our data, aren't we? And I don't want to be getting data from people. I don't want, you know, people say, oh, well, are you not like, when you visit people, are you not taking all their information? No, because that's not an unconditional blessing, is it? That's just being exactly the same as the world is, cynically trying to work out my marketing strategy for how I'm going to get these people into church or or whatever. And so I would visit and just say, I'm Ali, I'm your neighbour. And I use the word neighbour broadly, which I think is a biblical principle, isn't it, really? You know, who's your neighbour? Um, anyone, I'm a neighbour to anyone who lives on our estate, and I think, I think that's all right. I'm Ali, I'm your neighbour, I'm a Baptist minister, so I encourage people to be very upfront with who they are. You might not be a minister, but you might be, you know, I'm a member of such and such church, or I'm a local Christian, or I'm part of the Christian group, One North Allerton, or whatever it is. It's good to just kind of say who you are. And then I'd say, but I'm here to serve this community, all faiths and none, and um, wonder what it is that we could do together to make this a great place to live. And some people would tell me everything about their lives. And they'd get me to come in and they'd show me their house and just everything. Our, um, the first 30% of the people, the first 30% of our, our community is um, social housing. And because back in, I don't know if you remember 2008-9, if you were moving house, you'll definitely remember it. It was the credit crunch. And so apart from us, all of the other people buying a private house stopped. And so all of our social housing filled at first. And we're high priority social housing, which means that people, you have to have an additional need. You have, you have like these different bands in, in Swindon and other places around the country say, if you're an A, high priority, you'd have to have a number of different needs, maybe mental health issues or maybe a, a disabled child or you've suffered abuse or you're in hiding from domestic violence, something like that. B, 
would be if you were homeless or got some other what they considered to be less difficult um, things. But these guys are high priority. Lovely, lovely people, but quite a few of whom had had some rough, you know, had a bit of a rough ride. The idea that they were moved into a brand new house for some people was extremely exciting. And there's this woman arrives, happy to listen. And so some people did tell me their whole life story right there and then. And that was amazing. And some people just said, oh, thank you, Ali. You know, I'm so-and-so and these are my children. There's a lot of single mums moved into the area so often. And some people just said, thank you very much and didn't tell me anything about them. And that's fine. The interesting thing was that nobody said no or rejected me, which is interesting because I know some of these people quite well now. <laughs> I think, oh, none of them told me to go away in the vernacular or any other form, which is quite interesting. Um, because actually, we an, an, a genuine unconditional gift is a rare thing, isn't it? And so that was important. I'll show you the welcome back uh, baskets in a minute, but the other thing on there, it says, don't talk about me. I felt that God had said to me to not talk about him, which is a bit weird because I'm kind of a pioneer, a missionary, whatever sort of word, an evangelist. I don't know. Pick, pick your word that suits your, uh, your tradition. And, um, you know, I've always been a bit, you know, I was, the ki- I was the annoying kid in the primary school classroom who told people about God and how great my church was. You know, I was that kid. So the idea that I would not talk to people about God was a bit of an odd thing. But I don't think God meant I should never talk about him. But that it wasn't about going and arriving and it being, here's the gift, and I want to tell you about God while I'm here. It wasn't that. I really felt like God would just say, you know, just, just hold back and just wait. And the bizarre thing is, is that more people will come and talk to me about faith than in the entire rest of my life put together. I mean, literally, people would turn up on my doorstep and ask. One time we had the Peter experience, you know, when Peter was coming out of jail and they were all praying and, and Peter arrives at the door and they say, don't, don't interrupt our prayer, you know, that story. Some of you probably know it. Um, I had that experience when we were praying for people, uh, me and my intern at the time at the table and the door went and we thought, oh, should we answer that? And we went, and it was someone saying, <laughs> yeah, I'm really interested in this whole God thing. Can you tell me about it? You know, we nearly didn't answer the door because we were praying. You know, it's fascinating. People would text me, just, just amazing. And, yeah, I didn't jump straight in with that. And that has been interesting in the life of our community because within our community, with any community, you have a whole range of people. So we've got our resident Satanist, and perhaps our others, but we've got one loud Satanist. We've got quite a few um, humanists and people who are quite um, evangelistic about their atheism and their secularism. Um, And I've had a number of times over the years when people have written things about me or about the Christians in which we'll stay on on the Facebook group. We'll come on to Facebook. And... um, There have been people who are not Christians or not involved in the church who have said on those occasions, but Ali's never imposed her faith on us. And my answer to that in my head is, thank you, God, because I would have done. That is exactly what I would have done. Because I am passionate about these guys meeting with God. You know, I really am. And yet I feel that God sort of held me back from doing that in a way that wasn't wise, but keeping to that 1 Peter 3.15, which is be ready 
with an answer for the hope that is within you. And so actually that's really exciting when people come to you and ask you, you've got permission to share whatever you like. And I've never held back from talking about what I believe, but I have held back from trying to tell people, therefore you should believe this. And that's been really, just seems to have been really right for our community. These were the welcome baskets that we went out with. Now you've got to bear in mind two things about this. Firstly, I gave these to people on the day they got their keys. If you're going to visit people two weeks after they've moved in, don't take them a bin bag and a toilet roll because they'll think you're weird. But if it is moving in day, and we based it on what we didn't realize we didn't have available on our moving in day, when you move into a brand new house, nobody has left you anything. Like if you move into a house where someone's lived before, they might be kind enough to leave your toilet roll or... You know, there's sometimes things, no, not in a new house. So, so these were useful things. And they were also, you have to bear in mind that this was for people who, I mean, some people moved in with no furniture. And that was part, actually, of our ministry was helping people to, to get furniture. Some people moved in with very, very little. And actually, having these things was really helpful. Not everyone. Some people moved in with lots of stuff. But some people didn't have very much. If you have got a very middle class slash wealthy group of people moving in, they, they won't want this. And that's why context is really important. So my friend Penny, where she did her first pioneering, very, you know, kind of middle class professional area. And she did candles from Ikea and wrapped them in cellophane and, you know, did something all very beautiful. And, you know, so... Whatever is right. I mean, I just think it's great. Roy sent me a picture of these blessing cards. It's fabulous. You know, it's really great to pick what is going to be the thing that's going to be right for us and for our context. But I think there is something very special about giving things away. We've, um, we've created these. Model this for you. If I hadn't come on the train, I would have bought lots. I have bought a few. Um, because what I'm trying to say to people is... This whole, you know, giving a gift, unconditional blessing, it doesn't have to be complicated. Now, you look like a very intelligent, resourceful group of people. Sometimes I go to people who feel quite fragile about it. They sort of think they should do something, but they just don't know where to start. So whether you're resourceful or fragile, we've made these. And you can get them from our website. They're a pound each, so they do cost something. That's the that's cost price. We're not making any profit on them. Um, and it's quite simple here to put a gift in them. And this making everybody welcome is really important to us. This is for everyone, whether you're, you know, whether you're a refugee moving into a house, whether you're somebody, you know, who's on a really low income, someone who's struggled, who's been homeless, or whether you're someone who's very wealthy and moving into a really, you know, moving into your dream home. Everybody is welcome. God is for everybody. And so that's been really important to us to have and making everybody welcome on there. And in here you can put a gift and some information. So you'll see at the back there's some paper and things. We worked with the council, so we had some information from the council. And in there were also all of my personal details. (laughs) Um, Saying who I was, how they could contact me, all of that, you know, all of that. Where I live, or telephone number, so that people could get in touch. Um, And things about the local churches 
and about when bin day was and how you make sure you organize yourself to have a postcode because that actually can be more of an issue than you might think, um, depending on your area. So we've, we've kind of done these so that, that actually people can just get these off the shelf, fill them up, and if you've got houses already, you can go right now, tomorrow, visit. And so that's partly why we've done this, to make it easy. But, like I say, we're not making any money out of them. If you've got a better idea of what works in your context, go for it. So I've brought, just brought those as an example. I'm loving this, by the way. It's just great. Um, our unconditional, oh, there's our bags, our unconditional gift. So the first one is live incarnationally. The second one is to bless unconditionally. And the third one is to make friends. You know, it's not rocket science, is it? When you sound the expert, you know, like this isn't rocket science. And you might sit here and think, we know all of this, Ali. Well, if you do, hallelujah, I'm just going to pray for you that you just go out and, and do it all. Because none of this is, is massive rocket science. But sometimes we think we need to devise this amazing plan, don't we? When actually we just need to get back to the simple things. Jesus said, I call you friends. And um, I am on a mission with us making friends with people. Because I think we do want to love people, don't we, as Christians? We want to do that. We want to help people. And we do want to bless people. But sometimes we adopt a little bit more of a client, professional and client situation than we do friends. Now, sometimes there is an absolutely good reason for that. There are times when we do need to work on that kind of a model um, for everybody's safety and security. So things like a food bank, that is appropriate to have that, that kind of model. Um, you know, there's, there's all sorts of times when that, that is right. Although I hope even with that, that we think about what does it mean to make friends with people. Let's not go into these new housing areas as the church, although by all means be you know, identify that you're from church. Let's just go in as Ali or Steve or Roy or whatever name you're, you're, whatever your name is and just go in and be who we are and make friends with people and just love them and bless them in a very ordinary kind of way. Now, that's a bit scary. Some of you all know Messy Church and will have heard of um, Lucy Moore and she says how terrifying she finds this and I thought, oh, this is really interesting. You know, she can go into a whole messy church situation. And she said this publicly, so this isn't like a secret. Um, she can go into a whole messy church situation and mix with loads of people. But when they say, do you, you know, should we get together at my house or whatever? She's a bit more like, oh, that's a bit scary. And it can be a bit scary. And it can be quite easy for us to hide behind being the church. And we can invite people into the church. Come into my territory while I feel safe and secure where it's my culture. But actually, what would it be like just to be friends with people? What is it like to be friends with people who might come from a different socioeconomic group from you? We can feel quite intimidated by people who either are much more well-off than we are or much less well-off than we are. We can feel a bit intimidated by people who are much more well-educated than we are or maybe haven't had the benefit of education. And we can sort of feel a bit like, oh, I don't really know how... How do I kind of become, how am I genuinely friends with those, pe with those people who are different from me? And I, I'm sure you're learning loads about that through refugees 
I'm sure, you know, I'm sure in some ways I'm teaching you all to suck eggs when you've, you've got this because it must be very similar with your ref- refugees. But there is something about being friends. And I've learned quite a lot about being friends. And sometimes it's quite tricky and it doesn't speak well of myself. But sometimes I... I spend time with some of the guys in our neighborhood who were just brought up differently from me and um, have not had the benefit of being loved in the way that I have been loved by my parents. And so their behavior is different from mine because that's sort of how it works, isn't it? You know, I mean, I was very blessed to have parents who loved me and who were Christians. And, you know, that sort of set a little bit of a, a structure and a framework to my life saying, yeah, that's not universal in my, in my community where I live. And uh, when we first moved there, Neil, my husband and I, we were the oldest people on the site for quite a long time. And um, so if I was out and about with a lot of the guys who lived there, people would often think that I was mum to these, particularly a lot of the single mums and grandma, therefore, to the children. So I like to describe some of our children in where I live as being quite free range. Do you know what I mean? Lovely, lovely children, quite free range, quite free range parents as well, actually. But, um, you know, we'd be in a social situation, a shop, or I did used to do a lot of trips to A&E and, and take people there or whatever. And often the person in the shop, you know, the, the, the assistant or the, the triage nurse or whatever, or the receptionist would say to me, Please would you tell your daughter, or please would you stop your grandchildren? And to my shame, what I actually wanted to say with everything inside me is, these are my children and grandchildren. Have you met my children? My children would not be behaving like that. And yet, what an awful thing to even be thinking about these, these lovely guys. Sometimes I would think, I just want a little badge. It says carer when I'm out and about, or professional. So they know that I'm not actually related to these people. I'm not choosing to be friends with them. I'm just friends with them because that's what God's called me to, and I'm sort of stuck with it. And some of you guys who wear your dog collars all the time, so I was like, oh yeah, we'll just put my dog collar on. That would just make it really clear, you know. But gosh, isn't how Jesus must have felt with his disciples at times? At times he must have been tearing his hair out and thinking, really, Father? This is what I've got to deal with. You know, Jesus said, I call you friends. And what does that really mean to be friends? And to share with our neighbors in these new housing areas in a really authentic, real kind of way. That means going to their house. That means having them at your house. If that's the tradition, not everyone does going in and out of houses or going out with them or, or whatever it is that is, is best. And you can make friends who, on here you'll see a community event. You can definitely make friends through community events. But do you make friends through community events? I sometimes go to community events or I hear about community events and people tell me how wonderful they were and how many hundreds of people came to them and that's all great. And I say, how many people did you make friends with? And they, they don't really compute the question as to what that means. you know. And, and people often put all of their very best, most capable people onto jobs, don't they? So you're brilliant, you, you do the tea and coffee, you're fantastic, would you run this? And then you've got all these good people doing this, maybe with high-vis jackets on and things like that. And, you know, they, there's nobody available to talk. And the people you don't think are very capable, 
You leave those as a sort of the people wandering about. You might actually find it quite hard to talk to people and you're not doing them any favours. It would be much better to give them a job running the tea tent because you'd help them, they'd develop skills, they'd feel great. And if you, like me, are a bit of a talker, don't give me a job. Just let me wander about and chat to people. That's how we make friends, don't we? And that, that's a real passion of mine, that making friends is really, really important and that we don't hide behind being professional. How do we make friends? <laughs> In my community, they're all young, although if you get a really young community, they're not really on Facebook now. But if you've got the demographic that we've got, and especially 10 years ago, they, they were all on Facebook. Facebook was a big thing. And even coming up here today, I've had Facebook messages from, from people. That's been part of the way. You can make friends with people by... That's quite a, if, if you're in that demographic, that's quite an easy way of saying, oh, you're on Facebook, I'll look you up. Suddenly you've got a little... Well, you're starting to be friends, aren't you? And I know some people say social media is really shallow and all those things, and of course all of that. But actually, it can be a way of really befriending people. That might not be what you do. You might not be on Facebook. You might say, oh, no, I don't, I don't do that. But what do you do? Do you exchange phone numbers? Do you maybe say, shall we have a coffee together? What is the thing that you do? And can I say that I only really know how women make friends? How you men make friends, I don't know, it's a mystery to me. You'll have to just work that out amongst yourselves. Because when I say to men, oh, you know, just like swap phone numbers and things and like be friends on Facebook. And they say, that would be so weird if I just met someone. And then I said, shall we swap numbers? (laughs) Sort of works for us women, doesn't it, mostly? That sort of feel like a, yeah. Does it work for you men? No. This is what I'm told. So, you know, however it is you do it, or maybe you don't make friends, I don't, I don't know. Anyway, however you do it, I'd really recommend making friends. Yeah, in new communities, I can't go back, I should have said, in new communities as well, it's really good to maybe start a Facebook group as well. And there's all different open and closed ways. And if you want to talk to me about Facebook and how you run that and how it's like managing a fire, it's a great servant and a terrible master. Go into it wisely, but don't reject it because there is dangers involved. Uh, A lot of these pictures are about things I can really share with you. I've just put this picture up here. and I know you're doing a lot around mental health and those kind of things in one one North Allerton, and that's amazing. And you'll be able to kind of direct people if you, if you meet them there. But a lot of making friends for us has mean that people get in touch when they're seeking God, when they need someone to talk to. And I'd been there a very short amount of time when someone phoned me and said, hi, it's so-and-so. They spoke to me like a long-lost friend. I was trying to remember who it was. They said what their name was. And they were on their way to kill themselves with two of their five children in the car. But they said, I don't know if I want to die I know you're a vicar, with apologies to real vicars here. I think there might be a God, will you help me? She would not have phoned me if she didn't think that I was her friend. People these days, some do, it's always a clause, isn't there? Some do, but on the whole, people don't wander into churches like they used to. It's not the first place that they go to when they're in need of help these days. That is something that perhaps 50 years ago they would have done. We found that when the people we make friends with who have suffered a bereavement, we've had lots of, we've had quite a lot of stillbirths and things like that just because of the, the age and late miscarriages and those sorts of things. We seem to have had quite a lot of that. And loads of those people, the first place they went to were psychics and mediums. Wouldn't even have considered walking into church. Now, praise God, some of those people have then come to faith. 
But if we're friends, people will think, I can trust them. And they do have a faith. They have something that they might be able to help me with. So that is there just to remind us that a lot of these things are about us just being available for people. So loving, supporting and blessing. And interestingly, again, our research backed all this up. That people, when they talk about the stowaway, that was our porter cabin that we had and is now the name of our community uh, centre. That people who had come along and got involved actually ended up looking after one another as community. There's something called social capital. When we build social capital, that's building friendships and nurturing one another in our communities. And when you read about social capital, it sounds like the kingdom of God. It talks about peace and justice and security and those kind of things. You think, oh, that's interesting. So by hopefully by engaging with us, with you, on these new estates, people begin actually to trust one another. And I felt like the hostess with the mostess when I was first in my housing estate because people don't necessarily like to meet, talk to their neighbour, do they? It might be different in the north, I don't know. I don't really know the, the, the culture of the north, but in our community, and because quite a lot of people who moved in at the beginning were quite fragile, you know, I'd meet people and think everyone was lovely, and I, I'd say, oh, have you met your neighbour? And I'd be the person, oh, they're really nice, and their kids are about your kid's age. And once I'd sort of said it was safe, they would meet. And I still find even now that people say, oh, yeah, we're best friends, Ali, because you introduced us back in, and I can't even remember doing it. But people have become friends and become close, and we can gift that to people. Again, just recommend The Art of Neighbouring to you, which is a great book about how you get to know neighbours and, and what that looks like. It's an American book, but it translates really well, I think, to this culture. And again, it's easy to read, which is really good. So uh, I'd recommend that to you. Do feel free to ask me about any of the books afterwards if that's useful. So the first one is live incarnationally. The second one is bless unconditionally. The third one is make friends. And the fourth one is listen to God and the community. And we felt like God had said to us that he would tell us what to do through the community which is an interesting kind of concept, really, because those of us who started off, we felt we, felt we knew a few things. Do you know what I mean? Like, we weren't stupid. We know the kinds of things that you might do in a community, as I'm sure you guys do. You know, you, you know the sorts of things to do. We're human beings, aren't we? We know how to relate to other human beings. Most of us do, anyway. But we felt like God said we should hold back and not go in with a big plan of we'll do X, Y, and Z but to wait and to see what the community was saying. Now, some of us, depending on your tradition, there's a whole phrase about joining, finding out what the Holy Spirit is doing and join in. And some of us will have heard that phrase to death, and some of us won't have heard it at all. But um, that sounds great. I mean, I'm sure whatever our tradition, we would all like to join in with what God is doing, wouldn't we? The difficult, I don't know about you, but the difficulty I find is I don't know what those things are. <laughs> it's a great phrase to trip off the tongue. It's as if kind of the Holy Spirit is going to put a great big kind of, you know, tongue of fire, visible tongue of fire on things and go, there you go, Ali, this is where God, you know, where I'm at work. Go over there. It's not quite as simple as that, is it? You know, and it was interesting because we really got a sense that because we waited and listened to the community, that what God was doing sort of emerged through what people told us. This is not, not Christians. But I believe we're all made in God's image and God wants to meet with everybody. So, so things all kind of emerge, which was fascinating. 
So in terms of listening to the community, what we thought is basically we didn't do anything that we weren't asked to do, which if you're an activist like me, is quite an interesting kind of thing because I've got ideas. I've got loads of ideas. But it wasn't about that. It was like, okay, so what might that be like? And the first thing we were asked to do was to do a community day. We were asked by the housing association, so we did that. If we were asked to do rounders, if people wanted to meet other mums in the area, so they came to my house and that ended up being a toddler group. And then this happens. Like I say, I usually hide this because it scares people and I want to tell you the story gently. But um, some women came to my door and they said, hi, Ali. We absolutely loved Community Day. Community Day was sort of like a village fete, you know, that, that kind of thing. I said, we loved Community Day. Will you do us a Halloween party next? No, I don't know. Christians feel differently about Halloween parties. I don't know how you feel, as I can see from a few faces. There's a little bit of like, what's Ali going to say about this? And I stood on the doorstep and I was like, oh, a Halloween party. Yeah, it'd be really great. We could like have food and we could dress up and we could play games. and It'd be really great and you could organize it. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, well, I'll talk to the others and I'll um, get back to you. And I was really scared. I was really scared because I absolutely did not do Halloween in any way, shape or form. I was the parent, especially because I used to be a teacher. You know, I was the annoying parent. Any of you here teachers? Any of you here? Yeah. Any of you here primary school teachers? Okay, so I was the annoying parent who said, I don't want my children reading that book because it's about witches. I was that annoying parent. You know, I'm not having any of this in my house. I'm not having anything to do with witches or anything. You know, I wouldn't let my children watch Blue Peter on Halloween because it was too dark. Just on Halloween, all the rest of the time, it was fine. You know, I was really quite, no, not doing that, that's bad. Interestingly, the previous year, God had said something quite revolutionary to me, which was interesting given what happened then. And he he did sort of speak to me about giving out some sweets on Halloween because he gave me that verse, you know, who would give their child a stone if they asked for bread and a snake if they asked for fish and how much more does your heavenly father want to give good gifts to those who, who ask him, which I know is about the Holy Spirit and, you know, I know all of that, but... It did feel like I'm just, I'm just shutting door on people and I'm hiding away. And I was a teacher in the local area and I did all sorts of things. So I would have loads of people at my door. So I did dress up much to my teenage children's complete embarrassment as an angel the year before and give out angel suites with a sign saying no demons, but angel suites here, which is partly because the person who moved in with us, the teenager who I said earlier who moved in with us was from America. And so she'd always done Halloween and she was just a bit like, what is this big deal, Ali, with Halloween and getting yourself in such a, a stress about it? But still, you know, that's a bit different from putting on a Halloween party for our community. So we went away and I met with, we all met together and we prayed and we were very, very anxious. And God said some things to us. He drew our attention to the fact that we had told everyone that we were here for all faiths and none. He drew our attention to the fact that also when we've been preparing to go there that we felt we should join in with the indigenous culture. He drew our attention to the fact that God had said he would tell us what to do through the community. 
and he drew our attention to the story in Acts 9 where Peter has the vision of what I always want to call a picnic blanket. You know what I mean, with all the food coming down. And Peter going, oh, I'm well too a well-brought-up Jew to touch any of that God. And I'm paraphrasing the Greek somewhat, so apologies to those of you who've got theology degrees. But I wonder if God said something like, well, it's up to you, Peter. But if you don't eat this stuff, you, you won't be able to engage with the Gentiles. So it's up to you. We sort of felt a bit like God was saying, well, it's up to you guys. If you're far too well brought up Christians to engage in this, it's up to you. But you won't be engaging with what the indigenous population of this area that I've sent you to are doing on the 31st of October. So with some fear and trepidation, we thought, well, what would a godly Halloween party look like? And I'm not talking about a light party here because we had no building to invite people into. We were being invited out onto the bit of grass. We had no buildings at all. Invited out onto the grass where the local guys were. So we went for it and we, we did some pumpkin carving and people decorated it. So this does look quite Halloweeny. And then we got people to bring some food. There's a whole story around that, which I can't, I can't, I think time to share with you, but people bought food and we, it was lovely. These were loads of families came out and carved pumpkins together. And actually it was very wholesome. And then we lit them up with light, not with light, with candles. And we put them all around what we called the village green. And we did apple bobbing and all those kind of games. And we had soup and baked beans and jacket potatoes. And actually it was quite an amazing evening. And my, this teenager who lived with us, she said, Ali thinks she's claimed back apples and pumpkins for God, but God thought he'd made them already. <laughs> it takes a teenager sometimes, doesn't it, to just speak the truth. And at that first Halloween party, somebody came up to me and said, this is great, Ali, do you know what I'd like? And I was thinking, oh my word, not devil worship or something, you know, I was really... And she said, well, wouldn't it be great if you did a community nativity play and all the children could dress up? And I thought, phew. I used to be a drama teacher. I am a Christian. A community nativity play is something I can really get behind. And that nativity play was part of what enabled our church to emerge. But if we hadn't done Halloween, we wouldn't have done the nativity and the church wouldn't have emerged. Now, I'm not saying rush onto a new housing estate and do a Halloween party. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying let's listen to what God is saying in our areas. And I used to preach a sermon, the God who does things I don't approve of. <laughs> it's quite a list because I'm quite exacting about what's okay and what's not okay. But God doesn't seem to care about what Ali Bolton thinks is all right and not all right. And I think let's lay some of these things down, guys. I'm looking around at some really good holy Christians. But I've discovered I'm the Pharisee. I didn't think I was the Pharisee. I thought I was the sinner in those Sunday school stories. I thought I was the sinner. And God loved everything about me. And, you know, other people were the Pharisee. But I'm the person who's been brought up with quite a strong sense of what is Christian and what isn't Christian. And I can hold to that and be really legalistic. Or I can say God's actually for the sinners here that might look a bit different I throw that out what might that look like on your housing area I'm looking at the time Roy it's okay it's 2013 I'm on it we now do something which we've now changed it to the pumpkin party and we do a whole thing about treating and blessing and 
it's, it's become a really big thing. All of our community is out on the 31st of October. We could hide or we could go out there and think, what does the gospel look like on the 31st of October? And so that's where we've gone with that. So I'm just going to whiz through these. So the journey to Bethlehem, that was someone's idea. And here we were, just about everyone came out, dressed up, did loads of things. Here they are, freezing cold day. Someone came and said, what are you doing for the young people? And I said, what should we do together? And we started a youth club. And on that night, they talked about God. And I said, oh, that's not the sort of God that I know. I said, oh, I don't, I don't know that sort of God. They talked about this horrible God. It's like, oh, I, I sort of know a God who really loves us. And they said, oh, our boys don't know anything about God. I know, Ali, you could start a God club and tell all the children in the area about God. It's not a Christian. I said, yeah, I could do that. And here we're exploring creation through deep play. And they used to come to my house and they used to call it the God Club Down Alleys. And they came down before something looked a bit more like a church emerged. But none of this was things that we'd done. And that went right through to the emergence of the church where it was Easter and the guys talked to us about, um, someone was talking about Easter and I said something. I don't, I can't, don't even know what I said, I can't remember. But the response was, oh, is Easter a God thing? Isn't that interesting? I said, do you know, it really is. It really is a God thing. And especially if you have younger people moving into your new estate, as you probably will, because... New housing tends to, unless they're specifically over 55s housing, tends to go to younger people and young families. I go, I go to loads of these things. I go to loads of new housing estates, and predominantly they're young families. And a lot of those guys don't know anything about God or the Bible. Even really intelligent people who've got, you know, had a really good education, got really great degrees, don't know anything about, they know very little about the Christian tradition. So I sort of said, oh, should we do something? And we agreed that we'd do this thing on Good Friday. Which I guess now, I didn't really know Messy Church then because this is going back a while, but a sort of bit Messy Churchish, 50 people came along to find out about Easter. And as a result of that, we said to people, well, a few of us, i.e. the team, we're going to get together at, at my house on Easter Day because we're going to celebrate the fact that we believe Jesus rose from the dead. And if you want to join us, you'd be very welcome. And of course, there's loads more I could say about that. But 35 unchurched people rocked up at my house on Easter Day to celebrate the fact that Jesus had risen from the dead. How amazing. So we started thinking, ah, right, we'll do this again at Pentecost. It was like we'd sort of got the formula. Do you know what I mean? But 10 days later, I was walking about with one of my daughters around the estate and a woman. In fact, one of the women who'd wanted us to have Halloween, she was a real sort of mover and shaker in our community. She said, loved it on Easter Day at your house, can I come to your church every week? So we didn't have a church. And what a church is, is a whole other question. But we didn't have anything that was anything, we didn't have a gathering of any kind. So again, I was sort of like, a bit like I was with Halloween, I was a bit quiet, I was thinking, ah. Uh. And so she filled in the gaps, because she was an extrovert. Is it at your house at half past ten on Sunday? This is Wednesday evening. <laughs> and I could feel my daughter... <laughs> next to me and I could feel her thinking what are you going to say to this then mum so I just casually said yeah that's right half past ten my house Sunday walking home I'm texting the whole team going so I hope it's okay but we're sort of starting church on Sunday at my house at half past ten and that started a, a weekly gathering and the first person came to faith about three weeks later 
and was baptized. None of that's an easy. None of these stories are easy. I'm just giving you little tasters. I could tell you a whole load of stuff then about that. So again, not easy, but that is what happened. And the other interesting thing just to know is that the woman who suggested it has never been. Ever. She didn't come the first Sunday and she's never been since. We're still talking about faith, nearly 10 years on. And she was one of the people who, she's moved out of the area now, but lives quite close, who, te- who, who Facebook messaged me today about faith and let's get together. She's holding out on God, something huge. Her name begins with L. Pray for her. I keep thinking, I keep getting to her thinking, oh, this is it. She's definitely going to come to faith. And now I, we, she knows she's our church founder and I call her the church founder. And she says one day she's going to come. But things don't always work out in the way we expect. But what we do know and what we've really found is we need to listen to our community. We also need to listen to God. I'll declare I come from quite a kind of charismatic sort of, that's my spirituality. God will work, works for us all in different ways, whatever. I don't think he is too bothered about our Christian tradition. I think he's much more interested in us listening to him and doing things he prompts us to do. But for me, listening to God has been about giving prophetic words. And another thing, particularly my mother disapproved of, is that lots of people have responded to God by getting tattoos. So this is John 20, 23. I won't do the Sunday school thing. Put up your hand if you can tell me what that verse in the Bible is, because, you know, that would just, just be mean, wouldn't it? But this says, is the bit where Jesus is sending them out on the first Sunday where he said, as the Father sent me, so I send you. If you forgive sins, they're forgiven. And if you don't forgive them, they're not forgiven. And my first prophetic word to this young woman, after much panic, was to tell her that God had forgiven her. And I didn't know much about her story then. And I thought, well, that sounds really condemning. But her eyes filled with tears. And she'd been really interested in our discussions about faith. But she thought she couldn't become a Christian because there was something in her life that she thought was just completely incompatible with being loved by God and being a Christian. So if that's your sort of bent... Step out. I really believe that the gifts of the Spirit are for our communities, not to be kept in churches. I also think prayers are for, you know, don't keep your prayers for in church. Take them out. Not in an aggressive kind of a way, like the whole don't talk about me sort of thing, but in a loving, caring and responding to what's going on and responding to an invitation sort of a way. That kind of a way. So you milk monitors, do you also know the song Peter and John went to pray? Trying to put your hands up. You know the song Peter and John went to pray? Oh, oh, less. There's a song that goes, Peter and John went to pray. He met a lame man on the way. They asked him for alms and he held out his palms. And this is what Peter did say. This is from Acts 3 for those of you who don't deal in silly little songs. But if you look up in Acts 3, what Peter doesn't say is, well, we have a healing service bi-monthly on the last Sunday of the month in the evening and if you come along I get some people to pray with you in my safe little place and at the time when I feel like I've prepared myself before God what he says is silver and gold have I none but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth rise up and walk and he went walking and leaping and pray anyway all of that but he did it outside and I think let's go for it I won't have time to show you this video but you know, we've had someone healed of depression in quite an amazing sort of a way. And we're years on and she's still, after years and years of mental health and depression, she's still free from it. I can't even believe it myself. 
But it is amazing. I believe God wants to do great things and it will be different things with you because it will be your gifts and how God uses you. But let's not hold back on the listening to God as well and responding to his prompting. We did try and come before God and say, what's, what's your message? What's your good news this Easter? Pamp and I emerged from that because I felt like God said we should wash the feet of our community. Last Christmas, we said, what's your word to the community this Christmas? It's easy just to say, well, we'll go in and we'll do a nativity play. We'll do some carol singing. And, you know, and they're all good things. If you're doing that, great. There's nothing bad about that. But what if we really tried to discern together? Is God's got something specific to say to this community, to this new community? And um, we ended up feeling that God wanted to particularly give a message of light and hope. So we did yarn bombing and put yarn bombing. You know that when you, yeah, good. We put blessings on them and, and put them around and then went out in the middle of the night. Ugh, I'm not a night, I'm not a get up early in the morning sort of person. But anyway, we went out in the middle of the night just before Christmas and put them out. It called, there's just so many blessings on Facebook where people just, our Facebook can be a moany old group. Any of you is a member of a, yeah. I mean, that's what Facebook can be like, can't it? Our community one. But it was filled with people saying, thank you, and this is wonderful, and this has cheered me up. And then someone much cleverer than me, because we talked about singing over our community, worked out how we could put, get these logs and put torches on them and carry them up the hill. And that was our star that it made. This is a picture from the community up onto the hill, and we sang over the community. And it was just amazing. And I wouldn't have come up with that idea, but somehow between us, sometimes it's just because you've got like a good idea, isn't it? And I believe those good ideas come from come from God. When you're all there and you go, what about this? And you start going, yeah, well, sometimes people have prophetic words or pictures or sometimes they read something in the Bible and think, yeah, you know, go for it. I really think that listening to God and stepping out and doing things can be huge. So the research showed that facilitating rather than dictating is a huge thing. Let's facilitate. Let's be walk alongside people, not dictate to people. Really want to just get these last couple in as just shortly, but people think that what I'm really about is mission, and what I've really learned a lot about is missiology. If you're into those kind of words, and that that is right on on one level. I have learned a lot about mission, but you know what? Doing this, I've just learned a huge amount about discipleship. And actually what it means to be a Christian. And you probably all know this already. And you're probably doing all of these things. And I'm probably really behind. And, you know, I thought I was quite a mature Christian. But God has taught me so much about what it means to lay down my life. What it means to take up my cross and be a follower of Jesus. And it might be inadequate. And we might do it a bit rubbishly. And we might not be brilliant at it. That's what I feel like all the time. But there is something about learning to lay down our lives for these communities. And if you are doing that authentically as a follower of Jesus, I think people really do notice and connect with it. And it is challenging. We have an open house and we have people come to our house in all sorts of situations and stay with us and ruin our Christmases and throw up in our hall and stay in, my, in our spare room and shout all night turn up at those times and you just think you're settling into a nice evening watching the telly and some people will come to faith and then drift away and that's difficult there's all sorts of things you know it's not i'm not saying it's all easy by any means but i've grown so much as a christian by stepping out and seeking to grapple with what does it mean to be a follower of jesus if being a follower of jesus means to take up our cross and lay down our life 
And I find I go to quite a lot of churches, and I'm sure you wouldn't be here, perhaps, if you still feel like this. But loads of churches, you know, they just they don't want the new housing. They just don't want it. It's going to ruin their village, their town, their view. People near me don't want our, our housing estates. We've got far too many people in social housing, and nobody wants any of those people. They just don't want them. And, you know, as Christians, we can join in with that protest. But what if we were a prophetic voice of welcome, even if it does spoil our view, crowd out our schools, make it difficult to get a doctor's appointment? I know I'm aware of all these things, but we're in housing crisis. And if we as Christians could really speak up for those people who don't have houses and we could be a real voice of welcome, which does considerably mean laying down our lives in all sorts of ways. End of sermon. We might also want to lay down our agenda of what gathered church looks like. Because if you have a whole load of people who sort of to explore faith, who don't know anything about God, and perhaps come from a different lifestyle, tradition, all of those things, they're probably not going to fit into our existing churches. New things might emerge, be a, a missional community or a pioneer type church, or something that looks messy. You know, there's all sorts of things... Again, we need to lay it down. Or we need to change what we do on a Sunday if we want to keep to where we are that makes it inclusive. I don't know, because this is your context and you'll be seeking God about this, not me, so have fun with that. But we do need to lay down some of the things that we might hold dear. And that means that we struggle a bit spiritually. Let's find other ways of ticking those boxes for us. But let's have ways of doing gatherings that are really inclusive to all sorts of people from all different backgrounds with all kinds of knowledge. So there's a whole what is church thing, which could be baptizing in the back garden or having baby blessings in tents or just sharing lunch together or this is my kitchen when we used to have lunch together every week or it might look like a gathering in a hall or it might look like it's around tables or it might look like it's a pamper night where you're kneeling at people's feet and washing their feet. Remember that church is also integrated. It's not the thing we do on Sunday. It's integrated into everyday life. It's putting up a gazebo and playing. It's having stay and plays. It's doing a pumpkin party. It's going into the new school. It's having community days. It's having weekends away or having a youth theater or starting a charity or whatever it is. It might not be any of those things for you. And the last thing at one minute to half past eight is to keep on going. And this is the body of Christ being in it for the long term. And I've written the body of Christ, not necessarily an individual, because, you know, we might move into somewhere and we might not know if we're going to be there for a year or five years or ten years or forever. But actually being there as the body of Christ, as a team, as Christians loving for the long term. I'm chatting to people ten years in and they're still on a spiritual journey. But we've tried to stay there and to continue to love and to bless and to serve and not to be a kind of church that parachutes in, tries to take the rich pickings and then parachutes out again, but stays in there. I believe that the time that people move house and when they first move in and the, and the first six months in particular is almost like a thin space. And by thin space, I mean it's that time when people are most open to connecting with God, like at births and deaths and marriages, those big times. And I think it's really important to be in there at those times for those guys and to be open and available to them in that thin space. So go for it. It's half past, (laughs) as promised. Thank you, Ali. I feel like a station announcer now. The the train has arrived just on time. And uh, if you need to go, then please feel free to go. 
but going to extend the meeting by 10 minutes just for people to give an opportunity together to ask Ali some questions. And then there will also be an opportunity of further 10 minutes after that as we formally close for people to have some one-to-one conversations with Ali. Anybody got any questions or comments to, to make? I, I, I found that very simple and yet very profound, inspiring and informative. And it just opens up the possibilities if we imagine what we might be doing here in North Allerton or wherever God has called us to, to, to plant his gospel and see what happens, to join in the adventure of mission on our new housing estates. Um, for those of you who don't know, the new housing development in the north of the town is going to increase the population of North Allerton by up to 15 to 20%. There are a thousand homes being planned uh, on the north of North Allerton. Uh, and together with the Castlegate Estate, I, I'm told there's about 15,000 people live here. Uh, there's going to be about 2,000 people living in those dwellings. So it's a significant population increase. And it will have a mix of people from the local area and also people coming in from, from outside, as indeed the Castlegate Estate is. And, and essentially, I just want to echo something you said, that actually the vast majority of people moving onto these estates are under 50 years of age. And the unreached peoples with the Christian faith are people under 50 years of age who have no affiliation or knowledge whatsoever, many of them with the Christian faith. And uh, back to my Bible college days, mission studies, when you get people three generations removed from any awareness of Christianity, you have a missionary context. And uh, there, are, there are lessons and challenges for us. A- any questions from the floor? Thanks, Chris. Uh, Ali, you mentioned about team. How did you go about building team? About building team Ali? Halloween parties is not the answer. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, for us, it was actually some of the people from our previous church joined us. So of the three couples... Two and a half of those couples came, were at our previous church, so that they sort of joined us. And that was partly by sharing with, sharing with everybody. And there was 14 months between sort of feeling called to go there and moving in. And during that time, I shared with lots of people and met with possible people who might have that vision and talked to them. And so through that, and then really, I didn't do the thing about indigenous leadership because I just had to take loads of stuff out to keep it, to keep it this time. But also, just, you know, as people have become interested, I bring people in, even pre-Christian, and, you know, really sort of encourage people in the community to, to get involved. I think it's a massive question, though, though Chris, and it's one I always get asked. <laughs> and it's a huge thing, and it's different in every context, but you know, we could perhaps talk, talk a bit more. There's, there's not a really simple answer, sorry. Can I just say that many pioneering contexts actually invite people to come and journey with us, not yet Christians. And, and actually, there's a biblical precedent for that. You'll find it in John's Gospel when Jesus invites people to come and see, and their journey progresses. Uh, it's, it's high-risk stuff, but actually it's the adventure of, of, of joining with what God is doing in our neighbourhoods. successful and disastrous in equal measure sometimes it's been brilliant and other times like oh my word what did I get into there yes, question. how do you encourage people who have lost their <laughs> oh that's, that's a good that's very well phrased isn't it I salute you sir
Yeah, I think it's perhaps... Yeah, so in that, so those of us who feel a bit scared. Yeah, is that, that that's what you mean by that? It's interesting, isn't it? Because I think God does call people like me and Roy, and there'll be others of you here, to be the people who, and Chris, I'm guessing, you're Chris friend, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm guessing who are, who are called to be the people who go out first. So sometimes I feel like I'm the person who's walking out onto the thin ice. And my team, who are all introverts, who I started with, they were all introverts except for my daughter who took off to India to do mission within about four months of us moving there. And they'd all be, we're right behind you, Ali. <laughs> when they said right behind me, they sort of meant they were by the screen and I was here and it's like, you know, you, you go. And if, 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 the, if you don't fall through, then, then we'll follow. So I think there is something about that, that some people, God has called to say, you go out and go first. The team then begin to really grow in confidence. And some of those guys who at the beginning were a bit like, oh, they're doing all sorts of stuff. And because I'm only there part-time now, because I'm busy doing things like this, spending nine hours on a train, they're doing a huge amount of stuff now. So I think, you know, faith grows faith, doesn't it? We see that when you say, I believe, help my unbelief kind of thing. That we gain faith by seeing God do stuff. And I kind of think that's a bit what the body of Christ is about. It's about encouraging one another and, and being together. So I think there is something about that. I don't think that, if, you know, not everyone has to go first. But if, if you've got that gift, go for it. But I couldn't have done that if I didn't have a whole other people really supporting and things. And their faith really grew. So let's encourage one another. I think the Bible might say that too. I think on new housing context, there's there's loads of needs and opportunities that present themselves. And if you're you're forming something, pioneering, you'll have people who, who actually may not feel able or have the bottle to share their faith overtly. But they can actually know what it is to actually lay some law, put some lawn seed down, uh, who actually can handle a paintbrush, who can actually handle a negotiation and understand a letter that's coming from the council, or can go about helping you with a postcode. And you know, it's each one, everyone playing their part, builds confidence. And it's actually as they lay lawns or just give a hand with somebody or, or just be aware of what's going on in their community that their confidence is built and they, they, they build up their bottle, basically. One more question. Yeah, thank you. I was going to ask about church gathering. What does that look like now for you? Is it all together 10.30 on a Sunday morning or is it a family thing? Do you know, we used to be in our house and we'd have lunch together. It was, it was on a Sunday. It didn't stay at half past ten because nobody would get up. They used to get these little texts saying, we're going to come, but we'll be a bit later. Then we used to meet and then have lunch afterwards. And one day nobody was there and we were starving. And so we just ate. We ate lunch first and we met in the afternoon. So it just evolved. Yeah, when we got out of our house, we thought, what should we do next? And so we put it to everybody. You know, it was, we're obviously grown out of here now. What should we do? And I thought that we'd meet in different houses. But everyone at that stage was still quite fragile it was before, you know, we were still working mainly with, with people who were just, yeah, slightly more fragile people within our community. The private housing hadn't filled up much at that stage. And so really people couldn't, some people said they'd have things in their house, but then they'd cancel like 10 minutes before and go, I'm not up to it today. So I put it to people, what would they like to do? And by this stage, the school had been built. So I said, let's go to the school hall, they said. Like, okay thinking, that's not very pioneering, is it? 
And then, when should we go? What do they all say? All these unchurched people? Well, a Sunday's really good. Well, there was no buses in our place on a Sunday, and most people didn't drive. So, you want something to do on a Sunday? They, they, they voted on 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning in the church. I was just like, I'm going to have absolutely no credibility as a pioneer at all. You know, I thought we'd meet kind of alternate Wednesdays, you know, in a wood at midnight. That would be kind of like, that would be the cool thing to do. So it does come back to listen to the community. And actually, sometimes I think we would like to do things that are a bit uber cool. But if our community want to meet at 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning, we now meet in the community centre. It's quite, we have tea and coffee going the whole time. We're sort of around tables. It's quite, it's not like this. I don't usually monologue, but we're just trying to get a lot across tonight. So, you know, we talk together, people interrupt, join in. We sometimes have everybody in together. We sometimes put things on for the kids alongside what we do. It looks like all different things. And it, it doesn't look like something that's scared to not meet. So we only ever do one thing in a weekend. So if we're doing some big community thing, that is our worship and our offering to God. We don't say, well, we did all that, and now you've got to give a second day because we have to be sitting in this place at this time on a Sunday. So oh, talk to me about what the guy. You know, we have a monkey. We throw a monkey around. We say, uh, not a real live monkey. <laughs> a smiley monkey face. So I would start by saying, what has made you smile this week? Because when we started, we had a lot of people with mental health issues, and I'd say, how are you all? And they would say, and I'm not going to offend anyone by you saying what they would actually say, but they would say, it's not been a very good week, but they would say it using different words. <laughs> and I'd think, ah, oh, that's not really the way I want to start this gathering. I want to start it. So we, we did a whole thing about smiling and noticing where God is. So we, so we still do this. We throw it out. But what's made you smile? People put their hands up. And then, and everyone can do that. We've had Hindus and other religions come and join. You know, anybody can say what's made them smile this week. A, ch- a little child can. We have one little child who every week puts their hand up. Jonah, what's made you smile? Riding my bike every single week. And we go, that's great. And then we say, what are you thankful for? And we throw it around. And then we say, where have you seen God this week? And we can go from anything from like, you know, my daughter did a wee on the potty for the first time. Hooray! To I had this prophetic dream where I saw this word. You know, when this woman had this dream and I saw this word, it was S-H-A-L-O-M and I didn't know what it was. It's like, wow! So, we, you know, it's quite interactive when we move around and it's all sorts of things. And we do sing. People often say, do we sing? We do sing because people love to sing. We'd sung because the very first week I had all these tiny children and didn't know what to do. So we sang, our God is a great big God and Jesus' love is very wonderful. And we sang them them every week for weeks and weeks and weeks because we were naming the, the God the Father and God the Son. And we did, he's, he's got the whole world in his, he's got the whole wide world in his hands. This is not very cutting edge or pioneering, but that was part of our intercessory prayer. We write our prayers. We've got a we believe, we thank you, we pray for and we're sorry. All sorts of interactive kind of stuff. And people gradually said, is there other songs you know and can we sing? And that's so we do sing. Thank you. Uh, The train now departing for home uh, leaves in a couple of minutes. But uh, can can we make an announcement or rather a prayer? If you turn in your packs to the uh, house blessing card and we think about what Ali shared from Genesis 12, the Abrahamic blessing, and focus not so much on ourselves, 
but on the new homes, the housing estates that are around us here in North Allerton, in Annick, in Newcastle, in Prado, in Thirsk. And let's pray this prayer together. May the Lord bless this house and make it home, full of generous welcome for all who visit. Bring me with warmth and contentment for family and friends, overflowing with hospitality and nourishing provision, a haven for safety and peace in night and day, and a place of refreshment, of growth and happiness. May the Lord bless this house and make it home, filled with his love. Amen. And let's be mindful of that as we seek to discern how we might, as one church, North Allerton, seek to respond to the opportunities and challenges in the new estate before us. Those in the area, uh, please be alert to the information that comes through your churches and eventually through the website as to what will be happening uh, and what we'll be exploring together as pioneers. Um, The Church of England, I teach in an Anglican college, uh, is putting a lot of emphasis and quite a number of resources around pioneering. And we're looking forward to being able to release a full-time pioneer, possibly from the diocese. Um, But as Baptists and as Methodists and URC and Catholics, we want to be working together as partners in this venture uh, in these exciting and challenging times. So so please be alert to information that will come your way. And we have in our midst Salvation Army officers who've actually planted on new housing estates. They were in Selby, weren't you? And they are now on Thirsk. So we have among us people with both gift and experience, and we want to work together to... uh, to be good news to the people of this area and beyond. Thank you very much for coming. Um, If you're traveling home by train tonight, don't bother. Uh, Get a taxi. Thank you to Ali, who will uh, stay over tonight and return, hopefully easier tomorrow than the journey. Yes, yes. Just to say, um, there's a new housing hub, which is basically uh, national, all denominations and church traditions group, network, whatever, we're calling it a hub. If you want to get onto the mailing list for that, to get some information, I've got a thing out there for you. There's my little card, which has also got details on of the web address and the social media stuff. There's the new housing hub conferences on the 30th of March. And there's some little handouts about things like Section 106 money and just things about council and stuff. Because I didn't cover any of that tonight because there wasn't time to do that. Great. Thank you. And Ali will be hanging around there as well if you want uh, conversations with her. The the Little Grove booklet that Ali and Penny wrote, Peter, I think you had a copy and we've read it. It's an excellent good book at 3.95. But um, thank thank you very much. To to, to sign up, we'll give you access to a lot of resources, including uh, videos of of Ali and others teaching. That's, That's the value of that. Okay, thank you very much for coming. We really appreciate your uh, spending this evening with us and we hope you've been enriched, inspired and encouraged. Thank you.